Now, it's a problem when team members are not on the same page. Have any of you ever been on a team where someone didn't know the offense in the middle of the season? It's discouraging. I remember being in college and playing with a player mid-season who didn't know what he was supposed to do in the offense that we ran every practice for months. And when that happens, it hurts the team. You can't be as effective as you'd like to be. And so what I'm sharing today is pivotal as essentially it's talking about who we are and what we're about. I remember coaching a few years ago, uh, many actually, a sixth grade group of boys, and I was trying to teach them how to do a layup. Well, it's pretty fundamental at that level, and some of them didn't know, so you have to, we're going from the right side, so you have to plant with your left, and then I was telling them, it's like a puppet, the right, you know, you, the right leg and the right arm go up at the same time. And so I just try in this motion, and then they take a step and try it. But we came to one boy as they were taking their turns, and he said to me when he stood up in front of everyone, he said, I don't like it when people tell me what to do. <laughs> and I smiled and I said, well, why don't you think of this as me trying to help you and, and not telling you what to do? I can help you have success. He said, I still don't like it. And then in another practice, he was kind of showing an attitude. He just didn't want to, he just didn't want to, he wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to do what he was into, whatever that might be in that moment. And one time we're, we're running the offense and he just stands there and he shook his head at me. And I just said, okay, everybody on the line. I don't know if you're familiar with basketball, but that terminology means we're about to run. And, and I just said, look, when one person doesn't want to learn the offense, it hurts us all when they're out there on the floor. So we're all going to run. And I called his name because he doesn't want to run the offense. And we ran and we ran until he raised his hand and said, I'm ready to run it. You know, the, the offense. Now, at church work, you can't really do that, right? In that sort of discipline. But I still want to stress the importance of, just like it is with team in that respect, it's important here. And as we look to the future with the new multi-site strategy, we're emphasizing and simplifying our core values so that the DNA and the culture can be carried at every campus. So here you have it, this important message on what we're about, what we're headed to. And I'll tell you this, I don't think everybody should come to church here. I know people come from churches that were different and they liked the way they saw and the thing they did. And well, that's cool. God does a lot of good things in different places. But, and, and we all have the core essentials in common. But sometimes he does unique expressions in certain bodies. And so as you hear this today, if this doesn't resonate with you and you go, man, I don't like that at all, maybe this isn't the spot for you. And I say that as nice as I can say it with no animosity whatsoever. It's just that this is what God has called us to. This is our offense as we move forward. Well, the number one value that we have in our core values, I hope it's the number one value for every church, it's Jesus. Jesus is our main focus. Our purpose statement is built all around his name, encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. We're here, our purpose is to make disciples. That's what Jesus asked us to do in Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. Well, part of our going has been at Sherwood. In the future, it'll be at Lake Oswego, and beyond that, at Progress Ridge. And we're also going across the world, but our heart and our focus is to teach people who he is and get them to follow him with their whole heart. Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. So we believe he's the one true Savior. We believe that he's the Messiah. We have seen that he changes lives and transforms people. And the simplicity of Jesus is what we want to communicate here. We don't want to water that down. We don't want to give additives. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus, that he's living water. He's the living water. I want to illustrate this with something I learned from my mentor, Dick Foth, who will be here in a few weeks to speak to us. But he's the one who first did this. This is H2O. It's water. As a matter of fact, it's 100% natural spring water, what I hold in my hand. It's two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. If you don't get this for five days, you will die. If you drink it regularly, it's going to cleanse your body. You need it several times a day to be healthy. Now, this is Coca-Cola. The number one ingredient in Coca-Cola is water, but it has additives. The number one additive is fructose corn syrup, and that is cane sugar. Hard to believe, but absolutely true. A 20-ounce bottle, which is what I hold in my hand, contains the approximate equivalent of 15 teaspoons of sugar. So you've added a little bit to the water here, and now this isn't so healthy as it used to be. But there are other additives. There's caffeine and phosphoric acid. There's acid in this. It must be that hit thing, you know, where you get the eyes watering, right? Maybe that's the acid. I don't know. They say you can put a tooth in this, put it in the refrigerator, in two weeks it'll start to decompose and rot the tooth. If you drink too much of this stuff, if you overconsume it, it's really true that it can kill you. You have bone density that decreases. So this is water that is life-giving, and this is water with a little bit of additive called Coca-Cola. This you put on your roses. You wash your car with it. You take a bath. You brush your teeth. You do not brush your teeth with this stuff. <laughs> you don't take a bath in it. This is a cleansing agent. This is not. And here's the point. When you add things to Jesus, you don't make him better. You dilute him, and sometimes you make him toxic. So let's talk about that for a moment, the simplicity of Jesus. Add politics, you can make him toxic with that. It's okay for the purity of Jesus to go into all areas of life, but it's not okay to take this over here and say, this is what Jesus is about. No. Politics can be toxic with Jesus. The gospel of Jesus has nothing to do with politics. It'll change everyone's life, whatever they're doing. How about denomination? If you say the gospel of Jesus includes my denomination, now, now you're adding stuff. He can spill over into all areas and bless denominations, and I'm not even against denomination. I'm just trying to say when you add something to Jesus, you're not making them better. Even your own passion, what's your passion? If you make your passion the main thing about Jesus and your experience, you're, watering, you're adding something to him. Let him come over into you, but don't you add things to who he is, the purity, the simplicity of Jesus in the gospel. And here it is, as one man so eloquently said in the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. 
And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all about Jesus. Second core value for us, people. We like to say we're everybody somebody and Jesus is all. Acts 10.34 Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. And I, I want to talk about that for a moment. It's a big deal to me not to be a respecter of persons because I think it's a big deal to God. You won't hear me call out a lot of names in a church service because what I've seen through the years is people call out people that are being good to them that might give them something that they need. And there's politics that can happen in church. I don't like to do it. I, I want everybody to know there's somebody. I want the single mom walking through here who's, who's having an economic breakdown to feel as important as the mayor of any city that walks through this door. I want people to know that everyone is valuable and Jesus loves them. Oh, and I appreciate relationship and I understand the dynamic of that, but, but to be a respecter of persons is, is, is to, to not understand what Jesus is about and how everybody is important to him. No church politics. Everybody's somebody, and Jesus is all. It's all about reaching and loving people, not making people feel like they don't quite measure up with the socioeconomic standard. Everybody counts. And I want people to know that they need each other. One of the ways that we grow in Jesus, uh, as, as the Bible shows us, is, is that iron sharpens iron. Or people, we help one another come closer to Jesus. We inspire one another and pray for one another in our walk. First Peter 1.22, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth so that now you must show sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters. And here it is. This is what God wants from the people who are in the body of Christ, that he wants us to love each other deeply with all your heart. That's why we value small groups so much and getting together with people in accountability groups. That's why we have life groups that we, that we think are so important because the Bible says in Acts that they gathered in house to house. That's why Pastor Jerry and, and, and our life group leaders will emphasize stronger together because there's something about getting together on a regular basis with that small group who knows what you're going through, knows what your hardship is right now, and wants to help you through it. And it's not just about them helping you, it's about you helping them when they're going through it too. Today, it's me. Tomorrow, it's you. The next day, it's the person beside you. We all have need of Jesus Christ to invade our lives at, at, at times when there's so much going on. And so we can't just show up in a big group and, and then disappear until we come together next week. We have to meet together, know one another, pray for one another, be with one another. I love to illustrate this, speaking of something that happened Many years ago, as Tualatin faced, in this area, a great storm. As a matter of fact, there's three feet of water in downtown Tualatin that went all the way up to Sherry's across from um, Fred Meyer there. The water went that high. And, and the wind was blowing hard, and trees were going down everywhere. And at that time, the only campus we were on was our Sagar campus. And if you know that campus, it's kind of built out like a Sun River field with batten board buildings that, with metal roofs. It's kind of cool. And... And then we have these massive 
evergreens that are there. They look like they're 100 feet tall, but they surround the property. They're everywhere. And when that wind was blowing and we were seeing trees going through houses on the news and seeing all the damage, I was thinking, oh, no, those trees are everywhere. And just praying that, that they wouldn't go down and smash those five or six buildings we have there because they would just obliterate them if they fell. And then when the storm was over, I went and was so pleased that God had protected the buildings. Some big limbs had come down, and there was debris everywhere, but the trees had stood strong. And I was giving the Lord the credit, but an arborist said to me, well, let me give you another thought. I believe the Lord helped you, but you know what? You guys left most of the trees on this property, and here's the thing about these, these big evergreens. He said they have a very wide but very shallow root system. And if you pull other trees out from around them, they're weaker because they're their roots intertwine when they're closer together. And he said, you'll see areas where they build and they'll leave one tree, but it'll go down in the first big storm because its roots aren't interlocked with another. When they interlock with one another under the ground, they hold one another up. Essentially, it's the emphasis we make with small group, stronger together. And we believe that that you need Jesus, but you need the Jesus that's in people walking with you, helping you, iron sharpening iron and, and, and encouraging you in the Lord as well. Another core value for us, transparency. Being authentic. I like to say real people with the real Jesus. Let's get real. Let's not act like we've never sinned and we'll never sin again. Let's understand that we're people who are growing in Jesus, and sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. We want to grow, we love Jesus, but we're not going to act like we're all self-righteous and we never make mistakes. Here we see it in James 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's talking to believers, not unbelievers. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, and what happens then? You're healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So there's this essence of accountability that if we can find people that we can trust, that love Jesus, that we can be real with and tell them what we're going through, tell them where we slipped and fell, we're going to be doing better than if we don't do that. If we hide it, remember this, the enemy of our souls works in the secret sin. That is very fertile ground for him. So if we hide what we're doing or hide what we've done, we're not able to completely deliver ourselves. Perhaps you've prayed over and over again, but there's something of the power. Look at it. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. We want to be real. We want to be people that help other people grow. We don't want to be condemning. I heard someone the other day said, I, I can't believe I did this. I, I, I lied on, on the phone. And, and that person said it in front of a few others, and she said, boy, I talked to the Lord about that. And I stopped and I said, I want to thank you for doing that and for being so vulnerable. Because the truth is we all will make mistakes, and we can pray for one another, and we can get better. So now we've asked Jesus. Now we're being accountable to our brothers and sisters. How you doing with that? I'm doing better. Good. Let's go. Let's grow. And this is part of what it takes. So let me see if I can be vulnerable, transparent, and real with you and see if we can see any value in this. Years ago, my wife and I were having a difference of opinion. I like to say 
that I know the two become one when you get married, but when we first got married, I thought the one was me. <laughs> I found out pretty quickly it's not just me. That my wife has opinions and is intelligent and wise. But in this difference, I, I felt like she was out of line, and I spoke to her in a harsh way. And I felt good about what I said. And I went downstairs and, and thought, there, you know. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit showed up to say, no, 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 no. That is not right. You did not treat her properly. I want you to go up there and apologize. So I walked upstairs and went in. I said, honey, I'm, the Lord's speaking to my heart. I'm sorry. I was out of line. I was harsh there. Please, please forgive me. And we took hands and we prayed. And I prayed first and asked the Lord to forgive me. And then she prayed for us, that the Lord would strengthen us and help us. I felt pretty good about that, as it was better than before, right? The Lord's working. And I'm walking outside the, the room, and the Holy Spirit speaks again and says, your son heard that, and now you need to apologize to him. Aaron was five at the time. So I went into his room, knelt down in the darkness by his bed, and I said, hey, buddy, did you hear that? And he said, yeah, Dad, I did. You should not have talked to Mom that way. I said, I know. I asked God to forgive me. I asked Mom to forgive me. And now I'm asking you, will you forgive me? He said, yeah, I will, because nobody's perfect. <laughs> He's five. And I said, who, who told you that? Honest to goodness. He said, nobody. I've just been watching you. <laughs> okay. I thought parents taught children, but sometimes children teach parents. I told that story before here, and a man came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes and said, you know what? I've apologized to my wife, and I've asked God to forgive me, but I've never asked my kids to forgive me for that, and I'm going to go home and ask them to forgive me. And I prayed with them. Now, maybe you want to think your pastor is so amazing that he never sins and he's on a pedestal and he never makes mistakes. Maybe you want to think that way about yourself. You're deceiving yourself in either one of those. But here's the deal. I love Jesus and I want to grow. I make mistakes, two steps forward, one step back sometimes. It's true of all of us. Can we be a loving fellowship that's focused on, on being real and transparent and praying for one another and growing, protecting one another? Right? You're not going to expose someone who's coming to you as a friend and saying, hey man, pray for me about this. You're going to bless them. You're going to check in with them. You're going to keep it to yourself and not hurt them. But we have to get real. And another thing, we have to be real about our testimonies. Because sometimes we, we act like we've never sinned before. Like we came to Jesus and we've never had one mistake. Thank God he's so big in me. I've never made another mistake. Well, everybody knows that's not true. People who walk through these doors that are unsaved, they... They think that we are people who've never made a mistake. But as believers, we know that's not true, don't we? And I believe that you should be willing to tell your testimony and where you came from. For some of you, it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's, it's pornography, it's, it's, it's sins that that you've been involved with, but Jesus has forgiven you by his grace, you've been healed. And, and you're walking forward and you're overcoming thanks to the grace of God. Here's the deal. It's better if we share about the grace of God and what he's done with our lives than if we don't. 
There may be a time that you're called upon to give testimony to the grace of God and how he forgave you. And when you share where you've come from and what God has done for you, someone sitting in the congregation who's struggling right now says, maybe he's big enough to deliver me if he delivered them. You make Jesus greater when you share your testimony. You show the power of his grace. And mo most of you won't be called to do that publicly. Some of you will. But there'll come a time when someone comes to you or you hear something and you know you're to go to them when someone has struggled in a certain area, where someone's had some terrible things that happened that are consequences they're facing because of their own life. You can go to them because you've been there and the Lord helped you and you can share with them. I once struggled with that. I once felt that pain. But here's what Jesus did for me. And you're making him greater when you do that. You're not exposing yourself, you're exposing his grace. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he became a ransom for our sins and paid the price for us. But our testimony is how he's touched each of our lives and it will help set others free as well. The fourth core value is balance. I have these things in mind here, grace and truth, word and spirit. This is a church that values the balance of these things. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh, it's talking about Jesus here, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father. Now here's what Jesus is full of. You want to know what He's full of? Here it is. Jesus is full of grace and truth. We believe in the balance of these things because that's who Jesus said He was, the balance of those things. I like to say it's like the two wings of an airplane. I'm leaving on an airplane for a destination tomorrow. When I get on the plane, if someone asked me which wing, the right or the left, one's got to go, I'd say, I think I'll depart. I'll, I'll disembark. Is that a word? Because and, 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 I'm not going unless we have both wings because you're not even going to get off the ground. You're going to crash and burn with one wing. So if we're all about grace but no truth, we become permissive. We say, repentance isn't necessary. Live any way you want to live. Do anything you want to do, and it's all okay. And then, and then sin is rampant. The Bible says, should I sin that grace will abound? No. But if we're all about truth, then it becomes legalistic. Live by the rules. Do this. You made a mistake. And that's a club that just beats people to death. But if we have grace and truth, grace that forgives, Grace that enables us to overcome. And we have grace that helps us even when we're believers and we stumble and fall. It's awesome. But you couple that with the truth where he says, stay in these boundaries so you don't get hurt. And it's not just about you getting hurt, these things. It's about you not hurting others too. And so we need both grace and truth to see the beauty of who he is, to see the majesty of, of his life. Listen, I'm going to tell you about grace and truth in my life. And it may be a, 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 an example that surprises you. On one side, I have my mom and dad who have been married for 56 years together. On another side, Karen's parents were married 54 years before her mother died. Karen and I have been married 33 years. You, you, you know what has helped us? The example of grace and truth in the lives of our moms and dads. When grace and truth shows up, something healthy begins that understands that we could hurt one another and we care about one another enough to offer grace, but enough to show the boundaries for truth too so that, so that no one's hurt. 
It's beautiful when it works God's way. It's not bad. It's perfect. And Jesus was full of grace and truth. The two wings of an airplane, you can think of that in terms of this as well. The Word and Spirit. There are some churches that are into the Word of God that don't want to have anything to do with the Spirit of God because people might get out of control. Then there's people that are so much into the Spirit that you hardly hear the Word of God in their services and they don't even care about the Word of God. As a matter of fact, they think the things that come out of their mouth prophetically are just like the Word of God and the Bible tells us not true. The Bible tells us that we should examine everything carefully that people speak as a word of prophecy and see if they're in the truth. The Bible says that the Bereans were commended for examining the word of God carefully to see if these things were true. The Bible says examine everything. So if, if there's somebody who's working in this realm of the Spirit who says, you have to take this, I know because God told me. If they're beyond examination, then they're beyond God's truth already. Be careful of that person. Do I believe the gifts work and all of them are for today? Absolutely. They're wonderful. But I want to tell you something about the balance of word and truth here. We believe that the word shows us the boundaries so we don't get out of line. It's, it's, it's the inerrant truth of God. It contains the standards that God wants for us, and it shows us about his great love. And we need the word of God. A great deal we need it so we don't get out of line even in the things of the realm of the Spirit. Now here's a thought that some people who move in this realm of the Spirit don't give much attention to, but it matters to me. That services, even in a context of the moving of the Holy Spirit, that's where this is at in the Bible, are to be done decent and in order. And so I'm, I like to say we worship as a choir and chorus, not as soloists in competition. So the Holy Spirit moves uh, corporately among us, but not where any individual can do whatever they want to do, and it doesn't matter. You got a prayer closet? We're here to, for a corporate worship service. Does the Holy Spirit move among us? You bet the Holy Spirit does. Do the gifts move among us? They are welcome in this place and in this church. But I like to say this, the word without the spirit and we dry up. The spirit without the word and we blow up. The spirit and the word and we grow up. So let's look at what it says about the Word. I'm jumping around on you, bro. You're going to have to stay with me. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this about the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's some people who think there should be no rebuking, no correcting, no training if someone's out of bounds in the Bible. Not according to the Bible. People like me, pastors, spiritual leaders, and servants of the Lord, have to be concerned if someone gets out of the boundaries of the Bible, and you have to bring some correction at times. It's part of the job, believe it or not. Not a part I like, mind you, but it's part of the job. John 16, 7, now that was the word, here's the spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. That's Jesus talking about sending the Holy Spirit. So it's the word, but it's the truth. Uh, uh, yes, but it's the spirit of God as well. And the balance of these things. Romans 8, 14 shows us, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So the Word without the Spirit and we dry up. The Spirit without the Word and we blow up. The Spirit and the Word and we grow up. We're in the balance here. That's what we want for this campus. That's what we want for all the campuses that are rising up is that we'd walk in the balance of the truth of God's Word. Not my opinion and yours, the truth of God's Word. That's what we're after. 
The fifth thing that is a core value to us is generosity, locally and globally. Now you might say, to a degree, we think this is a unique distinctive that the Lord's given us, that we're called to this. I believe all believers are in a sense, but we're called to generosity, to reach out and love people and help them come to Christ locally and globally. There was a church doing that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and this is what the Word of God spoke to them. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I'm happy to tell you that we've had a goal of a million dollars for kingdom builders. And right now, coming in today, the last number I heard was $999,300. So I'm trusting that today, yeah, let's praise the Lord for that, huh? I'm telling you, we're going to make it. After these services are totaled, we'll be, we'll be over that. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Let me tell you why. It's not about the goal and saying, you know, a million. Every dollar translates to souls. Everything about this is, is we're building a home in Cambodia for, remember, $110,000 to save young girls from sex trafficking and to lead them to Jesus Christ. We're building a church in Africa, and we're sponsoring a pastor there for a year to raise up a new church for a local body in, in that area. In Ethiopia, we're building a warehouse to help those people uh, with whatever they need, storage of food and beyond. In New York, we're helping Luis Palau reach out to those people that they might find Jesus. We all know you touch New York, you're touching America. And we all know Portland and New York really need Jesus, right? So we can help with these things even though we're not present. How does the man of God, Luis Palau, go and do this unless he has some support? How does he get it on the airwaves so hundreds of thousands will show up? We come alongside and all the churches come alongside and we work together for the mission of God to build his kingdom. I'm thrilled at what the Lord's doing. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the scripture in 2 Corinthians 9 and seeing as well that he's going to bless you for doing this. You're so generous. It continues in that passage, as it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. For food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So you're helping them and God says, I'm going to increase the store of your seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I'm just here to tell you, you can't outgive God. Now, we're not even raising money anymore. It's raised. Praise God. If you haven't put your pledge in, don't stop now because we'll use it for the kingdom. We'll do even more. Every bit of it goes beyond this place to the works we talked about. But the harvest of your righteousness is more than money. It's your family. It's the blessing and the covering of God all around you, every place. It's a lot more than money. Write this down. Money is the least of God's blessing. It's a blessing, but it's the very least of. You don't need it to be happy. You've just been told that. As you give it away for the kingdom to, 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 to do his will, to see people come to Christ, you'll find that you're a partner and God is working in and through your life to help people come to him. Matthew 28, 18, here it is again. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're doing through missions. We're going. We're not just going across the world. We're going 
across the street. We're going to the towns around us. 300 in Sherwood last week. We're already working on Lake Oswego. You say, why would you go out there? Listen, that's 300 more than we have gathering here. There are 150 or so that were gathering before last week's service, and it's going to grow from there. We had 300 last week. We'll see what the Lord does there. But every time we go beyond the boundaries of where someone can drive into this campus, we're reaching further beyond the people who will come to Sherwood, Lake Oswego, Progress Ridge, and we can give a witness. Did you know that there's a serious decline in the number of churches in America since 1960? Don't give me this stuff about there's plenty of churches. There are not enough churches. There's not enough people in the communities reaching out. We have to go. And these churches will pick up this DNA of generosity and they'll reach across the world as well. I've met with a prospective Lake Oswego pastor already. We're on the move there. We're already starting to look at young people who can step in in the worship and, and in the ministry scenarios that we're raising up and apprenticing. This is a new day for us and, and God has called us to be generous so that the gospel can go forward. The sixth core value now, caring for our community. Matthew 25, 37 says this, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers of mine, you did for me. So I think of our high school taking 110 kids to Twalton Elementary School, becoming reading mentors and just a day of outreach there working at recess, working in the choir room, serving lunch, washing teacher's car, cleaning up, whatever they needed, there was a service day. And when that was over, that, that school, Twalton Elementary, right down the road, a public grade school, asked this church if we would adopt them. Why? Because they trusted us. They could see that we had the love of God in our hearts and we weren't trying to force anything on them, but we care too. And I believe that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I believe that it opens the door to, the, to a willingness to hear the gospel if you love and you reach out and you give. Jesus said to give a cup of water in his name. They ask us to adopt them, and we have. And one of the things that we have people doing every week there is filling backpacks full of food to send home with children who don't have enough food at home with, for their families. We bring food, we put food in the backpack, and it's, believe it or not, the school that we're serving has been identified as the poorest students and the poorest school in the state of Oregon. That surrounding community right there. And so we're, we're giving and we're serving, and they, they've opened the door even to the point where, they, they, where there was a family where a dad committed suicide and took his life, and they called us as a church and said, would you go reach out to them? They weren't calling us before. So we went and we prayed. And some people cleaned up her home because she had to move to where mom and dad was. And we gave her money and sent her on her way and did the best we could do to love her with the love of Jesus. We're gonna move out into some difficult areas of Tualatin and they've risen up in the last few years where there's community where there's some crime in Tualatin. There's a, one certain area that the city would like to have us address. And Pastor Armando is already addressing that area because there's a large Spanish population there. 
He's going in. Remember, he was, he was a gang member 16 years ago before he came to Jesus. And now you saw him preach last week. He's on fire for God. He's in these communities talking to these kids who are messing up, and he knows where they are. He's been there. He's telling them about the love of God and taking food. We're going to do an adopt-a-block type of ministry in that area. We're going to ask even you to get involved in the spring when we reach out because we believe that we should care for our community and that our community will see more of who Jesus is if we do. Pastor Armando received an award just a couple of weeks ago. In essence, the award was the Citizen of the Year in Tualatin. And a police officer handed it to him. And Pastor Armando said, I've got to tell you, this is very strange to me. I used to run from you guys, and you're giving me an award now. (laughs) That's what the gospel did for Armando. That's what the gospel will do for others that we reach out to. God's called us to care for our community. And the seventh and last core value, helping people find their way to God. Now, you've heard this all the way through almost every core value I've mentioned already because it's a thread woven through. It's the heart of Jesus. He came to set the captives free. He came to the poor. He came that he might show the love of God and that every person might be redeemed and reunited with God the Father. And our mission is to help people find their way to God. Now, if you're not careful, you won't pick this up as a value. And here's here's where we can get in danger as a church. You come and and you you listen and you're being blessed. We hope you're blessed every week and your family's being blessed. And you want to cover your family. But if you make it just about you and your family, you're not where God wants you to be. He wants you to be about those that have not found him yet. Jesus came to, listen, seek and save those who are lost. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, that has to be part of the mission for us. It's the main part of the mission. And so, we care when people show up here, we care about our neighbors as well. Acts 28.2 says this, these people were shipwrecked, the, the ship had been torn apart in the ocean, and the debris was everywhere, and it, there was a storm, and it was raining And here's what they said. They got some help. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. There are people who walk through these doors, who walk through the campus on Sherwood. They'll walk through those doors broken, beaten up by this world, shipwrecked, rain beating down on their face, cold and wondering if God could even help them. They're so far messed up. We know he can because he's helped us. God wants us to be the kind of people that give a warm and, and build a welcoming fire for people. That they could feel the warmth and love of God when they walk through these doors, when they come into contact with us. I've read this letter before, but I I believe it holds special significance for us. As a matter of fact, as I studied this week, I've come to believe that it's a word of God to us, for us. It's written by a woman who gave her heart to Jesus, and she wrote it anonymously. But God's trying to tell us something through this. I want to read it again, and, and about all the campuses that are raising up in the future. She says, Dear Pastor Stan, my adult life has been nothing short of disaster after disaster. I dropped out of Oregon State during my sophomore year and worked full-time since I was 19 years old. 
I worked in retail and hospitality until I was 22 when I decided to audition to be an exotic dancer. I was hired and quit my full-time job as a reservations manager where I was making, because I was making twice as much money in one hour dancing than I was all day at my other job. I spent 15 years dancing. Luckily, I never did drugs, but I drank, prostituted, and was suicidal 90% of the time. This is a story that's too long to tell here and now, but it's important for you to know that I'm one of the people you're talking about when you say it's a matter of life and death every time we gather. I don't think a lot of people believe that, she says. I'm saying it's true more often than anyone could ever imagine. She says, I first came to Horizon in January of 2009. I was married with the one-year-old daughter. I continued to come. It was an easygoing atmosphere. I could easily get up, get my daughter dressed, and throw on some clothes, bam, out the door to church. Nobody bothered me. I learned a lot from your sermons. I cried a thousand tears. You let me know. You let me know that God loved me no matter what. You gave me proof through the scripture. You shared knowledge in a way that I understood and felt comfortable about. I felt very convicted every Sunday, but I would learn so much that I would keep coming back. Plus, you are hilarious. It's a matter of opinion. I didn't know a man or woman of God could be so normal, meaning for me, down to earth. You know, even our casual relational style is on purpose in what we're called to, really. In January 2010, I finally raised my hand. Oh, what a feeling. I was baptized three months later in July with my two daughters watching right there on the lawn. Pastor Stan, I know you get quite a few letters, probably hundreds. I've heard you read some. The common thread, and here's a line that I think is the one for us. The common thread is how you've relayed God's truth in a way that expresses the depth and breadth of God's love and grace. God wants the common thread in everything we do to be the truth of God expressed in a way that shows the depth and breadth of his love and grace. She says, you, the pastoral team, the elders, staff, volunteers, and church members have contributed to my life being saved, both physically and spiritually. Awkward Sunday showed me how important the light is lowered so one can feel a sense of privacy. The woman who opened the door for me many, many times with a smile when I was feeling harried. Having the card to scan my my children in and check them in quickly is wonderful. The coffee, the clean restrooms, the sermon notes, and the flyer, they're all things I love about Horizon. I love that it's fun. I love that the truth is told. I love that even being a large church, it really does feel like a family. The words thank you are not sufficient for all of the people and all the things that have been done to lead me in the direction of Christ, she says. I simply want you to know how deep my gratitude runs towards Horizon. The touch on me has touched my daughters, my parents, and I'm sure others who I don't even know. I just hope the parts I play in Horizon will give someone else the environment they need to hear the truth, feel the grace and love of God, and see the amazing body of Christ that I did and still do see sincerely name withheld. Wow. You say, man, that's, that's heavy duty. Well, it, it, the heart of God is to love people who are in these places, who, who are experiencing the pain of, that this world offers. Here it is in Luke 15, 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against him, 
against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. He was involved with wild living, the Bible says. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate this. I'm going to change son to daughter here because that's the story I just read to you. For this daughter of mine was dead and is alive again. She was lost and she's found. So they began to celebrate. I want this church to be a church that values reaching out to those who don't know God and celebrates, no matter where they've been, celebrates their coming to Jesus Christ. 